May I invite you to turn to Hebrews and chapter 4. Hebrews and chapter 4. And uh, this evening we begin a mean series on uh, those statements as you read through the book of Hebrews. Uh, there are several letters uh, statements, and those are the statements that we'll be seeking to reflect on in the coming weeks. The let us, uh, irrespective of a version you use, they are always in the same places and they all begin with let us. Uh, let us, uh, let us, argued uh, if the author is the apostle Paul, whoever the author is, he continuously includes himself uh, in that exhortation and they all come after some exposition of some Old Testament or implied exposition of an Old Testament passage or principle and then that comes as an application. Let us therefore because of this uh, let us do the following. The first let us will be considering in chapter 4 you notice that from chapter 3 uh, is a history of what led to the rebellion and to the warning and there is a reference uh, to a passage there uh, in verse 7 of chapter 3 therefore as the Holy Spirit says then there is a quotation and then there is that advance but also in verse 15 of chapter 3 there is a quotation today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion then we have in verse 4 therefore because of what has been going on therefore while the promise of entering this race still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it for good news came to us just as to them but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I saw in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his words were finished from the foundation of the world. The focus is on verse 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. If you're using the NIV, it uses the word, let's be careful. Uh, almost every other version translation is in line of being afraid. Uh, let's be afraid. Uh, let's be fearful. Uh, and it's a fear of reverence. It has the intonation or the nuance of carefulness because of this fear. The ENT, the NET says, let us be wary, uh, which is also let us be careful. And it's in that context. I would like us to simply focus on what I am calling check your presumption regarding entering the promised rest. Check your presumption regarding entering the promised rest. 
came across a few interesting readings regarding facing fear. One of them had to do with watching movies, and this particular author put it this way. As a child, it is fun to watch movies about monsters that are pictured as eating an entire city, or of space aliens that try to conquer a city or the whole earth. These movies are to some fun because one can be afraid for an hour or so, and then it is all over. The monster is killed. The aliens are fought off. A child is afraid of most Nigerian movies, particularly those with witchcraft in them. The moment there is witchcraft, she literally just runs off the sitting room or covers herself. But for a moment, the fear passes because there will be some sin that will come and they are not as scary. Another author, a contemporary one, put it this way in the context of American basketball. An American basketball player called John Madden of CBS Sports crisscrossed the country many times each fall in a customized bus because he was afraid of flying. A few years ago, one first round draft choice in the NBA quickly ended his career with an unconditional release by his team because of his paralyzing fear of flying. Several years ago, another one has recorded a televised circus act with Bengal Tigers was broadcast live. The tiger trainer went into the cage with several tigers to do a routine performance. The door was, the door was locked behind him. The spotlights highlighted the cage. The television cameras moved in close and the audience watched in suspense as the trainer put the tigers through their act. However, seeming to be coming across this Zesco phenomenon quite frequently. In the middle of the performance, the lights went out. For 20 or so, 30 seconds, for only 20 or 30 seconds, I wish that was right and true of us. But in this particular situation, for 20 or 30 seconds, the trainer was locked in a dark cage with Bengal tigers, a whip and a chair. The tigers could see the trainer, but he could not see them. After the event was over, in an interview, the trainer was asked how he felt about this situation in the cage. He first admitted to the chilling fear of the situation, but he pointed out that the tigers did not know that he could not see them. He said, I just kept cracking my whip and talking to them until the lights came on. They never knew I could not see them as well as they could see me, but I was afraid. There is a fear that we all go through. Sometimes even if you're not scared because of some TV thing, that's okay. There is a fear we all must have, and it is a fear of Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 1, a fear 
that we all must legitimately be reflecting on because to be presumptive and to assume you are courageous and bold and yet miss the rest is a tragic absence of fear. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Let us be afraid. Let us all be wary. Let's take care fearfully, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The author of Hebrews is making that statement as an application to what had happened to the Jews, to the Israelites. They refused, they disobeyed, and they didn't enter the promised rest. They did not enter the promised rest because of unbelief. They refused to believe the promise given to them. That's what the author would like us to understand. Take care. That's chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, he commends them. Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Their unbelief was evidenced by the disobedience. And because they disobeyed and did not believe, they did not enter the promised rest. Then the apostle or the author says to us, however, the promise of entering it still stands. The promise of entering still stands, but the warning is still important. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. There is a fear which all must have, a fear given to us in Hebrews 4 verse 1. As you read that portion, really beginning from chapter 3, way down to chapter 5, it is outlined in different ways, and one of the outlines is simply this presentation of Christ as superior to many Old Testament characters. So he is superior to Moses, he is superior to Joshua, he is superior to Abraham and many others. That's one of the outlines that is provided. There is another outline 
which is an outline focused on Christ as the faithful one, even from all of the Old Testament characters, as the obedient one in comparison to all the Old Testament characters. Chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 5, verse 10, is about the high priestly character of the Son of God. That high priestly character in the sense of his being superior, or in the sense of being faithful and obedient. He's the faithful Son of God. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. The danger of disbelief and Christ presented in relation to Israel as the faithful one. Chapter 3, 7 to 19. And in the context of chapter 4, oh, be careful that you may not behave as the whole nation of Israel did, but emulate this Joshua. And it is picked up in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. But how can we enter that rest which is still standing? It is true. Jesus Christ who is greater than Joshua. Joshua did not lead them into the rest. But there is a Joshua that will lead them into that rest. And it is in that context, apparently a Joshua failure to lead them in the rest, that we are called to be afraid. But also in the context that this rest still stands, but do not be presumptive. Do not just assume that you will enter because you may just fall short of this entrance. And then we have in chapter 4, verse 15, 5 to 10, the compassionate son of God. What we have here in chapter 3, or in chapter 4, verse 1, is an exhortation stated earlier in chapter 3, verse 12. In chapter 3, verse 12, we have this exhortation, and that's where the NIV translators picked up the word care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. In chapter 4, verse 1, in falling short. In falling short. It will have failed to reach it. And having fallen short is the rendering of some versions. And this whole section, that exhortation concluded in chapter 4, 11 and 12, the latest segment. The link of chapter 4, verse 1, and what goes before it, that is chapter 3, 19, is chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And from there then we are told, well, what they felt to enter still stands. The opportunity is still there. The rest still can be entered in. Reflecting on that later statement in chapter 4 verse 1, several observations. <coughs> Reflecting on chapter 4 verse 1, in particular on that later statement, several observations. The first 
observation is the implied but explicitly stated. In some versions it implied in the ESV explicit and it is simply this that the promise still stands to enter the rest. The promise still stands to enter the rest. As you read the story you get the understanding that the author is addressing Christians who probably were thinking we've lost it. It's done. It's gone. They didn't obey. The rest has passed and therefore the promise is no more. The author is writing to remind them that the promise actually still stands. You can respond differently than your forefathers and enter that rest. The promise made to the Jews is still standing to the Christians. The promise the Almighty God made. Chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us. And notice that while it stands, it's not going to stand perpetually. Seize the opportunity while the promise still stands. Because there will be a time then the promise will no longer stand but fulfilled by those who have obeyed and those who didn't, the promise will have passed. It is while the promise still stands, let us. And you notice that the author to the Hebrews is very careful to point out that the offer of salvation, the offer and availability of grace is not perpetual, is not going to be eternal. In some language you'd say, it's appointed unto every man to die once thereafter judgment. So therefore, utilize the time that you have because once death has come, the appointment has arrived, the opportunity is done. Be careful therefore how you respond. And would be taking us back to the issues of the Jews that missed the same. Verse 9 in the same chapter 4 also underlines that the opportunity will not always be there. The offer will not always be there. And here is what he says in verse 9. So then, there remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God. It does remain. But like everything that remains, there comes a time it is stopped. I would like to argue just as a digression that there is part of the argument of still why we must keep the Sabbath. There is still an argument. You can read, I would recommend John Owen uh, and Pink, uh, who many a time would quote Owen, that that verse is critical in our observing the Sabbath, uh, which is the Lord's Day. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered God rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Notice the principle is way back to Genesis. But while that was forfeited by the Jews in terms of the rest as promised, where he says, well even in the context of this Sabbath rest, there is a sense in which the Sabbath remains. But my focus is on that word, remains. But there is a time when it will no longer be there and it's in the context of the rest. And in the context of this promise made to Christians regarding the rest, let's observe, beloved, that human beings after the fall have always been restless creatures. Human beings after the fall have always been restless creatures. Human beings live by hope. We live by hope whether Christians or not. The difference is the definition of hope. We plan that one day we will build. We hope. That's our hope. But there's no guarantee that we will. We pray that we'll be there tomorrow. And so we, we have every year plan. We'll be planning in November as ministries. The prayer and the hope is that we'll be there in 2020. And therefore our anxieties still are there for the year to come. As a country, we are fearful of what will happen in 2021. We trust in the Lord to keep away all evils during elections. We are not at peace, even as we think of 2021. Went to Kitwe to visit my wife's cousin, and she was saying, look, those of you that live in Indola and outside Kitwe, there is a sense in which you don't understand the violence that has come into Kitwe. It's very bad. But if you are a young lady walking at 18 hours, you make sure there is no young man in front of you, there is no young man behind you. Because if there is, then you are better off entering a shop. You don't just walk about. It's very bad. There is this restlessness. There is no peace. There is no settledness. That's us. There was a time when the Soviet Union and the Americans were at war, what was called the Quad War in terms of their, everybody was just thinking anyone can touch the red button and it's a nuclear war. We are a restless creature. It's in that context that rest is promised. So human beings live by hope. Man's best pleasures are not in the things they actually possess but in the things they hope for. You know, life, life is interesting. Notice that the more property you buy, the more insecure you become. So the most, in terms of this, uh, not fearing things and everything, actually people in my home village, because they know they go to sleep, it's okay. Uh, if he breaks in the house, you just find buckets of water, nothing to steal. They go to sleep, telling my nephew, you know, he goes to sleep, the door is not locked, and I have a shampoo to Moonsak, and I'm thinking, you chat, somebody will steal and say, 
Ah, eu achei que eu já te falei com isso. But you come to my home, there is a wrecked run outside. No, so every, even when an avocado falls, boom, but you won't pass around the pipe. Because of the terrano. Unsettled. It is men and women who have reasonable property that do electric fences. You never find one in Chifugo or in Chiprokosu. I mean, those days. Now, Bamila Poisa, you find one. The more property you have, the more insecure you become. The more security guards. We are creatures that are not at rest. People are always looking forward to tomorrow, hoping tomorrow will be better. Man's true life is the heavenly one. And his earth life is true only as it tends towards that life. The only rest, the only peace you will have is not ultimately peace here. It is peace there. It is peace there. That was the question yesterday, where is heaven and hell? It is there, there, here, there, wherever heaven is. That's where peace is. But it's promised. There is rest. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Let us not be presumptive that will enter that rest. Christians do actually have a promise made to them of an eternal rest. Christianity is not a cunningly devised fable, but a certain offer of inconceivable blessedness. Christianity is a glorious religion that even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of storms, that we still can embrace and experience to some degree this restfulness, this calmness, this joy of being in the presence. And so we speak of it as the peace that the world cannot give and does not understand. The rest that God has promised to man is the undisturbed peace. The holy joy of the divine nature which nothing but likeness to the divine can bring. It is being in the presence of God. That's the rest. The promise of rest is a promise left asked by the Lord Jesus Christ as his last will and testament as a precious legacy. We'll enter that rest when Christ returns. It's still there. And it is available. The question I have to ask, beloved, are we sure we'll enter this rest? Or we simply being presumptive. Notice that as you read the book of Hebrews, the author to the Hebrews speaks in such a way that if your theology gets confused, you'd think he's talking about losing salvation. But he's speaking in such a way, basically to walk. Don't be too comfortable. Don't assume things. Watch out. 
before you discover too late that you believed falsely, that you believed wrongly, that you deceived yourself. Notice even the language in the text we're reading is not so that you'll have failed, lest any of you should see to have failed to reach it. Lest any of you may appear to have fallen short. Don't be presumptive. The promise is still available. But secondly, in our observations, considering that let us in chapter 4 verse 1, let us observe the second place. The corporate nature of the exhortation. The corporate nature of the exhortation. Corporate but also inclusive. The author includes himself. Not just saying to them, you consider this. You take care that you don't. But he says, let us all reflect on this because this is important. I cannot afford to speak in the second person. I will speak in the first person plural. Let us fear. Let us take care lest anyone may appear to have fallen short. It is to us. Now again as you read the Bible, Christianity is a family issue. Christianity is not primarily individualist. You, you are served as an individual. But you are saved in a family, into, accurately put, you are saved into the family. You are born in a family. You cannot claim to be a Christian and simply be individualistic. Now the author to the Hebrews says that's alien to Christianity. The Lord Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, or what we call the Lord's Prayer, lays down that reality also. Doesn't say, my father. Well, the psalmist does. The Lord is my shepherd. But the Savior says, our Father in heaven. Read the Apostle Paul. That's part of his language. Let us. We should do this and that. It's only in issues of repentance that many a time it's personalized. You repent. Because no one can repent for you. But this exhortation is as a corporate body. Remember, later on we'll be saying, let us encourage one another. Let us not give up meeting together. It's a corporate affair. It's a corporate affair. And it is in this context that this is a value from the African culture that is Christian. We are, therefore, I am. The Western world says, I am, therefore the others are. Philosophers say, I think, therefore I am. Think there's somebody who says, I doubt, therefore I am. Now the biblical issue is, we are. Therefore I belong to this family. And the exhortation is letters. And the implication is this. That we must be biblically concerned for one another. And we will see that across the later statements. We must be biblically concerned. I think I, one of the messages I remember about Pastor Chanda a long time is this issue, not just his definition of pastors 
that pastors are people who poke their noses in your private affairs. Well, Christians must to some degree poke their noses in the brother's affairs. The brother's affairs. Each one is saved personally, but the journey must and should not necessarily be individualistic. Individualistic. A, a, a journey or a race is marked out for each one of us, but the running is together. Just finish at your finishing line. But as we run together, we encourage one another. We warn one another. We beck on one another. We pick up like that advert. The two hands are better than one. Oh, but even more hands are better than one hand. The member saying is true here, except in eating. I think we can end there. Let us. Let us. So it's not simply let me. It is let us. And notice, that's the invitation. Let us fear. Let us fear, let's end. So it's in the context that we must take care because then some individual beings may seem to have fallen short. And those who may fall short, we need to fear to encourage them, strengthen them, be concerned for them. It is a corporate issue. So in the second place, it's the corporate nature of the exhortation that we must focus on. It is an exhortation to lead us to be clear that we must take care that we do not fail to descend the fact that the whole way of salvation is of faith and together. It's a journey of obedience, but together. If there is anything that will characterize us, let it also be that Christians at Indola Baptist Church genuinely care for one another. They are concerned for one another. That we are concerned, so concerned that if one is going astray, we will rebuke them. But if one is going astray, we will seek to do something biblical about it. That when they mourn, we mourn with them. That when they celebrate, we celebrate with them. And it is because of the letter. Let us, let us. Thirdly, in the observations reflecting on that text, let us observe thirdly the purpose of this exhortation. The purpose of this exhortation or the warning that is being given here. The writer warned his readers so they could not fail to enter into their rest. The writer is exhorting and warning them so that they would not fail like their forefathers, or put accurately, like some of their forefathers, thought to end. This is the thrust. This is not about losing salvation or something else. It is about confirming or verifying your salvation. It is asking, am I truly saved? Rather than, can I lose the salvation I have? It is asking, do I, do I have a ticket to that rest? If I have it, bless the Lord. If I don't, I better get one. I better get one. 
It is important to be assured of salvation, but equally important to be doing a self-continuous self-verification of salvation. In other words, it is important to know that this is a past-done deal, but there is a present reality. And it has to do with your continuous living a life of holiness. Called being saved continuously. That's what he's calling them to do. When you investigate your journey, when you reflect on the marks of a Christian, when you look to the Bible and ask that truly those that are going to enter the rest, these are the marks true about them, are they true about you? Because if they are not, you are being presumptuous. You may just discover too late that you will not enter because you are not part of the fold. It's a warning to check against presumption. It's a warning to check against presumption. Many times you talk to Christians and you ask them the basis of the assurance of why they know, it comes across very clearly that they are just assuming things. They are just assuming things. The fear or care here directed is not that of the sluggard dismayed by difficulties, of the unbeliever who suspects that the promise shall not be accomplished, but a fear of caution, a fear of vigilance, a fear of care which leads us to examine ourselves and allows us in this awful concern to be satisfied with nothing less than evidence whether we have a title to heaven and a care in a fair way to obtain this blessedness. It is a fear that must cause us to be careful it is a fear that must lead us to be vigilant. It is a fear that must lead us to examine ourselves. Let us fear as any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The writer is writing to comfort those who are afraid they had missed the rest. He's not only writing to warn. He is writing to comfort them. At least I know, I can remember three situations where individuals have come to us and basically with this understanding that for them the opportunity to be saved is done. And it's done because they think of the things they've done and they conclude surely God can't forgive me. To such the comfort was dropped. And you have a people that are living in a situation that are thinking, because this is how we behaved, surely it's done. Surely it's finished. Now the author says to them, I have good news. Be comforted. The offer still stands. The promise is still there. Beloved, as long as we are alive, the offer of salvation is still available. When you go to hospital, you're speaking to this patient and they are of the view that because they're in a critical situation, it will look like, look, they are just now doing it because they are sick. Please assure them. But as long as they are breathing, there is still an opportunity. Ministering to one person who didn't live a very nice life. They go to visit them, 
I ask them, look, it's possible. The Lord may terminate your life. It's possible. He's asking, Pastor, you think I'll leave? I said to them, well, it's possible you may, but it's also possible you may not. But what are the doctors saying? Well, they are saying it's 50-50. Your injuries are serious. But there is hope. You're not dead yet. You can still ask the Savior to save you. And the man in his sickbed cries and says, Pastor, you must be joking. You don't know what I've done. You, you don't know. Now, even if I think in the first thing, then you'll accept me. Now, to such, you need to say, while the promise still stands. And that's what he's doing. Again, I would like to say, you may probably be going through terrible difficulties. You might be wrestling with sin and sometimes you think, look, you are done. While the offer still stands, there is hope. There is hope. But we must be quick to say, there is hope only as far as you are alive. Only as far as you are alive. The writer expressed the thinking in this verse that some of his readers concluded had happened and that is that they had missed entering into their rest. Apparently some of the original readers had doubts because the Lord had not yet returned. They expected him to return soon after he ascended into heaven. Read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12. Read the Apostle Peter's writing that there are some who are actually mocking. Where is this coming? Since our forefathers died, things are just the same. So just live the way we want. There will be some that are thinking, look, he's not coming. He should have come a long time ago. Therefore, it's done. No, the author is saying, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, a greater Joshua is yet to return. Fear of coming short is every Christian's concern, but the question is with what does the fear, care, and joined in the text mainly concern? Alluded to it, but briefly again. The great point is lest we come short of the heavenly rest by failing in the faith which will give us rest. Not then that it is our responsibility to be peculiarly anxious that we do not come short of fully realizing the spirituality of faith. Many are content with the shells of religion, whereas it is the kernel only which can feed the soul. Do not be satisfied with the husks. Be satisfied with religion itself, and that is Christ. And remember that part of the argument it is impossible for those who've tested. It is possible to experience some of the Christian beauties and still not be saved. It's possible. And be content with the shells of Christianity. Seek the kernel, the heart, the real thing, or the real person that is Christ himself. Very quickly, let me finish with this. Notice fourthly. What should motivate us to be fearful? That none of us be found to have fallen short of it. 
what should be the motivation? Firstly, history should motivate us to take care. Remember that out of 600,000 Israelites who came out of Egypt to possess the land, only two entered the promised land. Only two. History must motivate us. Out of 600,000, two spies, two, not even Moses entered, two, out of that whole generation, the only ones who entered was the generation that was born in the wilderness. From that crop, 600,000, two, everybody else, Assumed they will, they disobeyed. They did it. Don't assume. Simply because you belong to the Lord that you will. Maybe left out. Check your faith. Secondly, consider the consequences of coming short. That if in reality you fail to enter the rest, if in reality you realize you are not saved, it is a horrible thing to be deprived of this fullness of joy which God has promised to them that love him. Borrowing again from the earlier sections of Hebrews, it would be terrible to simply have the test and not get to have the full meal. It will be terrible. Thirdly, remember there is no in-between. Between heaven and hell. There's nothing like, if I'm not in heaven, I'll be somewhere but not in hell. There's no middle ground. You miss heaven, you are on the other side. If you will not be in hell, you will be on the other side. Therefore, be careful that you'll be in heaven. Hold on to the Savior of the world. Christ's legacy of rest, somebody has written, our business is to see to it that we be the legatees, that we lay our claim to that rest and freedom from the dominion of sin, Satan and the flesh by which the souls of men are kept in servitude and deprived of the true rest of the soul and may be also set free from the yoke of the law and all the toils and ceremonies and services of it and may enjoy peace with God in his ordinances, providences and in all our consciences and so have the prospect and earnest of perfect and everlasting rest in heaven. Christ's legacy, our business is to see to it that we be the legatees, that is, the legal adopted recipients of the promise. So the question this evening is clearly directed to the saved. Are you sure? Are you sure? Do not assume. But if you are saved, continue watching out, continue being careful, Continue being reverently fearful. Otherwise, you may be too presumptuous. God help us to be fearful. Amen.